It is exactly nine minutes after 10 a.m. this morning, and this is the Thursday edition of The Talking Point. My name is Oliver Dixon, and I'm standing in this morning for Kathy Mulchalana, who's not in with us today. She'll be back tomorrow, um, and once again in conversation with you. If you're just joining us, you missed an action-packed open line, a critically important open line about the state of racism, but more specifically, the culture of racism, right? It, it, it is it has become so invisible because the DNA of it is seeped deep in the crevices uh, of our, you know, existence in South Africa, institutionally, personally, in the family space, just everywhere. And we spoke and, and many people called in and outlined their experiences of racism. Uh, the st- and, and, and some of these experiences are not blatant racism, right? It is it is it is it is almost it has a great deal of plausible deniability. Well he wasn't racist, he was just drunk. Or oh, well I wasn't being racist. I was just you know it's just my personal preference that I don't want to work with such and such a person. That, you know, defines the state of racism in South Africa today just because it has been decriminalized or or just because uh, apartheid has been criminalized or at least done away with doesn't mean the culture that made it up has gone away. In fact, a um, good friend of mine, Dr. Cizwe Mpofu Walsh, always says that apartheid was not disbanded, it was privatized. Uh, but it wasn't criminalized, it was privatized. And, and, and he outlines that argument in, in, in both his, his, his two books that he's, he's written, worth reading on. Uh, but more importantly, um, you know, the question then is, how do we deal with racism institutionally? But more specifically, if we're going to define racism of what it is, Hatred. How do we deal with hatred legislatively? How do we create the legislative tools and frameworks that sanctions that sort of behavior? More specifically, what I want to talk to you about in this hour of the show is the criminalization of hate speech. Um, In fact, the uh, Hate Crimes Act uh, is being put together. Um, And it is an act that one seeks to criminalize and sanction hate speech and hate uh, um, acts of hatred. Right. But what qualifies as that? What is hate crime? What is hate speech? Uh, And how is it different from, say, just morally insidious crime or, um, you know, indecent speech or just offensive speech, but not necessarily hatred? That is a very fine line. But once you've defined it. You can identify it, and once you identify it, uh, you're able to sanction it. And joining me for this conversation is Tandy Smith. She's the head of programs at Media Monitoring Africa. Uh, Ernst van Sale, who's the campaigns officer out at AfriForum. Uh, and Kim Lithgow, who's a member of the Hate Crimes Working Group. Thank you so much all for joining me this morning. Kim, I want to start with you. Uh, how, what, what is a hate crime, and how is it different from, say, just, you know, terrible behavior? Hi, thanks for having us on this uh, show. I think for starters, we need to um, uh, just have the full name of the bill out there. So it's called the Prevention and the Combating of Hate Crime and Hate Speech. And the reason I would like to highlight that is just because all of these um, sort of of the of the bill is important. Um, Okay, so what what is hate crime? Hate yeah. crime is basically a a crime against a a person the um, perceived uh, membership of a particular group, uh, and and so it's it's not a crime against the individual. It's a crime against the individual and uh, the group that they they are perceived to belong to. 
Right. And, and, and how does it differ from, say, for instance, I can, uh, you know, perpetuate a, you know, an act of, I don't know, that's morally impunable against a group of people, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm dehumanizing them or I'm saying that they're, um, you know, less than human or, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a criminal act. H- how do we then know what the threshold is for certain behaviors and acts and acts of speech to qualify, to pass, when they pass the threshold, how do we identify them as specifically, um, you know, a, a, a crime of hate speech or hate uh, an act of hatred? Okay, so um, the, the, there's a huge difference between offensive speech, um, as you are highlighting here, and um, hate speech. So hate speech itself goes further than just being verbally offensive. It goes much further than simply expressing one's belief system or um, any acceptable limits of free speech. So it, it, it certainly doesn't encroach on one's free speech. And um, the, this has already been set out by the courts, by a constitutional court, in the case of John Quilani and also in the yeah. case of the Masuku trial. Yeah. So this has already been defined. And, and, and the problem that we're seeing at the moment, the reason why so many people are objecting to criminalizing hate speech is that they actually don't understand what it means to have hate speech and what it means to have defensive speech. So the public is in need of being educated. And so that's where the prevention part of the bill comes in and and. and for this bill to be passed, would then put the onus on the government to convey to the whole of South Africa, you know, what it means to engage in hate speech or hate crime and the differences. So we we really want this to to happen because we really believe that hate speech is a barrier to social cohesion, yeah. you know, and yeah. unity within the country. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Tandy, you know, it, it, if, if, you, if you rewind maybe 10, 15 years ago, you, you, you could easily have believed the argument that acts of hate speech and acts of hatred are isolated incidents that do not form as part of the norm of our society and are not deeply entrenched into everyday living in South Africa because we wouldn't have seen a plethora and a large sample size of examples where this happened. But social media has proliferated that, uh, you know, at least display thereof, so much so that we see tweets and Facebook posts and videos going viral all the time of acts of hatred and hate speech and all of these sort of things. But is it is it, social media blown the problem out of proportion and has the media facilitated that? Or is it a true reflection of just how intimately part of our everyday life hate speech and acts of hatred has become? Hi, hi, Oliver. Thanks so much for having me. Um, you know, I think that we're dealing with, with a number of different issues here. And you know, I would, in a, in a perfect ideal world, I'd love to think that, um, you know, we haven't seen uh, an increase in, in acts of hatred and, and um, instances of hate speech and, and racist speech. But I think the reality is that social media has made it a lot easier to amplify um, voices that have, that, that, um, that contribute to, to hate speech and racist speech. Um, you know, I think that it's, 
it's, it's one thing to to look at, at like you say, 10, 15 years ago, where, you know, I don't think we... I don't think we lived in a in a perfect world where where we didn't have um, yeah. um, comments of, of racist speech and hate speech. I think we have seen it made that much more apparent, given the the high levels of um, or the high the high volumes of information and communication. Um, but I, I also think that what we have seen over the last few years is a concerted effort to combat this um, this type of speech and and ways of bringing it to the fore and and discussing it and um, you know finding like like I mentioned finding ways to, to combat it so by default then you you bring it to the fore and I think that's also in you know finding ways of, of dealing with um, with these issues. I mean, it just in the last just in the last hour, I've I've received like at least seven different, um, you know, racially charged tweets against me on Twitter because of the conversation we've had in the previous hour, um, mm. and you know, on on in on any given day, that would qualify as a form of hate speech. People calling me all sorts mm. of names, right? Um, the hate bill crime obviously will regulate what speech acts are acceptable and which are unacceptable. But the sheer large volumes of people spewing hatred to each other, mostly on an online space, may become a policing nightmare, right? Um, How then do we craft it in such a way that it regulates speech in undoing the culture thereof uh, without necessarily have to overburden police stations with, you know, hate crime court cases or, uh, you know, people opening cases against each other all the time for hate crime because someone tweeted something insidious towards them? Well, I think um, what what's really important to remember is that we're dealing with two very different, very distinct issues here. The one is, is hate speech um, as, a, as, as its own category and one is hate crimes. And, and we need to look at them um, quite differently. But when it comes to hate speech, we feel as MMA, according to the the way that it's defined and it's set out in the bill at the moment, is unconstitutional. It's too broad. Um, we need to narrow the definition because whether we like it or not, you know, there's there's hate speech, and we need to deal with hate speech, and and we need to take action against hate speech. But we also need to balance that with the right to freedom of expression. And we have to define those gray areas of what is um, considered offensive or, or shockworthy um, and, and that kind of speech and what is what actually constitutes hate speech. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not simply good enough to, or it's, it's not simply enough to just criminalize hate speech. You know, just putting in people, putting people in jail for, for hate speech is not going to fix the issue. Yeah. Um, we need to look at aspects of, of, you know, bringing in restorative justice, bringing in mechanisms of actually dealing with the root cause, um, but, but in, in that also regulating, yeah. um, regulating hate speech. So, so it's a complicated issue. It's a, it's a fine balance. But, um, you know, having the amount and the volume of content online isn't enough to say we, you know, it's too hard. No, it's, mm, it's, we, mm. we need to be doing something. Uh, absolutely, uh, Adams van Sale. If if you if you if anybody spews a bunch of racialized slurs and racist slurs at someone, they can find themselves in jail like Penny Sparrow did, right? Um, that that is a 
crime. You don't even need the hate um, the hate speech act to be able to identify the crime for you. Our jurisprudence, as it currently stands, identifies that crime, and we know what a uh, commensurate sanction for that is. Um, should the hate bill uh, act, uh, the hate speech act, go beyond that, or do you think that? Um, our law is fit and proper as it currently stands. And in your mind, what do you think qualifies as a, as a hate, as an act of hatred and hate speech? Good morning, Oliver. Yeah, there's uh, quite a few questions there to unpack. I'll, I'll take them one by one. So the first thing about, the, for example, cases like Penny Sparrow, if I remember correctly, uh, all those types of cases were criminal injuria cases. So there is a legal framework to deal with those types of cases, and we've seen uh, the results of that. Uh, when it comes to your question of uh, is the South African uh, legal framework enough, um, I don't really know exactly every uh, facet of what is in place to combat these types of, uh, for example, hate crimes. But as I understand, a hate crime, uh, as one of the previous panelists uh, uh, defined it, uh, is correct, where it is a crime that is committed, something that is illegal. But then there's also the extra facet of this crime uh, being motivated by hatred uh, towards an individual or group based on their identity. Um, so there's absolutely... Um, Hate crimes are a phenomenon that uh, happens. It's not something that can be denied. But at the same time, uh, as we said in our commentary on this bill, um, this specific bill um, makes the, the definition of firstly harm, uh, but then also uh, of a, a hate crime, oh, not a hate crime, hate speech, uh, too broad. It's trying to make it too broad as uh, one of the, well, actually both panelists, if I remember correctly, both said uh, is the thing that we need to be uh, very careful about because in the what end... What would that look like if, a, what, when you say too broad? What, what, what does yes. that look like? Uh, a good example would be the very uh, long list of uh, different uh, identities that this bill would apply to. So, for example, um, where it is, uh, according to the bill, uh, mere propagation of hatred or harm is sufficient for speech to be regarded as hate speech. And therefore, uh, it includes all these uh, other emotional harms and social harms. And then, because it has this long list of categories... But surely like, the mere example, propagation yeah, is... Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is I'm, I'm almost done. Just a very important point. This bill would, for example, criminalize calling someone an old fool or an old fart because it's based on age. Uh, that would then be considered hate speech uh, and would uh, end up... That person could then end up three years in jail for, for a comment like that. Kim, is that how you understand the, the, the bill to be currently, uh, you know, configured? No, not at all. I think it's very apparent that there's very little understanding of what hate speech is. Um, and certainly it's not frivolous, like calling someone an old fart's going right. to be court gonna put you three years in jail what what sorry that's such nonsense okay so um let's look at a couple of cases so the masuka case um was hate speech and um that took i think it was not uh, 10 years you actually find a a um a judgment on that the the john Kulani case that took uh, 13 years. So I think, you know what, it, uh, I think we need to deal with the fact that hate crime is very, very different and that um, it's not easy to convict mm. someone of hate crime. There's another case that I'd like to draw to your attention is, is, is the case of um, Oscar Bogart. 
So that man is extremely offensive um, towards uh, lesbians and gays. And um, many times he he continually spews offensive mm. um, um, things against against their, their, their community. However, there, there's only twice that he's actually been convicted of hate speech because it's very difficult to convict somebody of hate speech. It's not some uh, frivolous, silly little insult mm. that you can throw at somebody. So, um, yeah, it absolutely, again, I, 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 I want to reiterate that there is very little understanding in, yeah. in the South African public of what constitutes hate yeah. speech. Adams, do you, you clearly think that, and, and, and Kim says, that there's a difference between insulting someone and disparaging someone um, by stripping away their humanity in your speech or behavioral acts, right? You believe that distinction should exist. Kim says, well, the distinction is there. What else do you think, uh, uh, Ernst, uh, what else do you think should be excluded at least uh, from the bill as it currently stands? Well, firstly... Sorry, sorry, uh, Kim, that's sorry, that's for Ernst. I'll I'll get back to you in a second. Yeah, so um, uh, we actually made some recommendations in our written commentary, uh, but we also did an oral presentation on it. Um, so firstly, uh, and the bill does, uh, if uh, some of these uh, steps are followed, the bill can be in a much better state. Uh, in the state that the bill is currently, it will be struck down by the Constitutional Court at the first challenge. As the what what, what will be the first constitutional test that this bill will fail? Well, that would be, have to be a case where uh, someone takes uh, another person or a group takes another person to court based on harm uh, as the bill uh, defines it. So what some of the recommendations that AfriForum made uh, of some of the uh, areas where the bill can be improved is that firstly, uh, it needs to change the definitions of harm and hate speech that are used in the, in the bill to fit the constitutional criteria of those two uh, uh, criteria. Secondly, uh, it needs to address the problem of arbitrary persecutions under the bill. And then lastly, um, the use of restorative justice measures, as was mentioned by our earlier panelists, uh, to deal with instances of hate speech and reserving imprisonment for cases where the targeted person or group or uh, of people suffered, suffered actual harm as a result of, being, uh, of harm being incited against them. So that restorative justice is very important, where instead of imprisoning, uh, in many cases, uh, restorative justice can actually uh, create a, lo- a lot more long-term uh, and sustainable solutions to actual hate speech uh, in uh, South Africa. What does restorative justice look like? Restorative justice would be, for example, there was a case, uh, I'm going to have to uh, look it up, because there was a case of a, an individual that said uh, online many hateful things about uh, uh, white, white people, and he was actually then ordered by the court to go do community service in white squatter camps. And he came back uh, a changed man. He said he, he got a new perspective and uh, he was wrong for the type of speech or hateful speech that he made. Uh, restorative justice is where you give a person the opportunity to go and do good work and be exposed to the actual experiences of the group that he disparaged and then have the opportunity to be reformed and come back let's, 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 let's crystallize let's crystallize that um, in a real life mm. example today contemporary example so the Stellenbosch mm. student that peed on the other students uh, belongings and, and property you think the right thing the right sanction would be for the magistrate court to say hey man 40 hours of uh, uh, 
community service go sweep some streets in a township and come back a changed person? Uh, no, because that case, there's actually criminal behavior there. But this will have to be, it will all depend on what type of charges are laid against him. As I understand it, what he did is a damage of property, uh, and uh, that is a, that's a criminal offense. So that would have to depend on what charges are laid against him. Uh, when it comes to uh, the motivation of what he did, I saw the interview with uh, the victim yesterday where he told the interviewer that there was no indication of, uh, of racial hatred that uh, motivated it. Now, this will, uh, we will see now with the investigation what comes out of that. But mm. that case, uh, we have a clear criminal act. So we can't just then say a criminal act. Uh, then if, they, if, if a charge is laid against that student, a criminal charge, uh, then the, the law needs to take its course. Then a restorative justice would not be enough uh, if he is found guilty of that crime. Uh, but mm. like I say, that, that, that specific context. Uh, uh, I want to ask you, Tandy, what do you think a appropriate sanction typically looks like and what then does change the behavior of people? Um, for instance, would community service be a stringent enough sanction um, or do you think that uh, the courts and the bill should consider something stronger than that to be able to change behavior? But more than anything, uh, when people are sanctioned and their speech acts are curtailed when those speech acts are dangerous and harmful, insightful, um, and even dehumanizing, do they typically change their behavior after being sanctioned? Yeah, you know, I think you, you can't look at, at one... Um, at, at, at one kind of, of reform as enough. Um, you know, I don't think simply community service is going to, to change a person. Um, you know, and, and I also think it's really important to look at context of, of these issues. Um, you know, I think that there, there, needs, to be, there needs to be repercussions um, for, for hate speech. Um, I don't think that's that's deniable. Mm. What what our position is um, when it comes to to criminalizing or prohibiting um, speech, we we need to look at you know what is defined as in in the current draft bill as it stands, and the fact that we do have the Equality Act um, as well, and and how that's defined. And we need to ac- acknowledge that it is prohibited. Hate speech is prohibited in, in the Equality Act, mm. and and like we've discussed, um, you know, uh, yes. criminal law yeah, under the Constitution. Um, yeah. And so, so in, just in terms of you know what should be done, um, racist speech is criminalised. Mm. You know, no one's arguing about that. I think that you know we we not. But as it currently to... stands, it seems to be criminalized as a form of, say, criminal injuria, and not specifically identified as a hate crime. That doesn't seem to be a legal framework that makes that identification, right? And that seems to be part of what our jurisprudence is trying to achieve now uh, through this act. But I do want us to continue the conversation on what an appropriate sanction looks like, regardless of what legal framework we use to identify insidious behavior and, 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 and hateful behavior and hateful uh, speeches of act, acts of speeches, right? Uh, that conversation is critically important. Uh, if you want to be a part of this conversation, please do give us a call. The number is 011-714-2006. Give us call tell us what you think tell us what you think an appropriate sanction looks like what is the appropriate punishment for someone who behaves 
in a deeply racist way that qualifies as an act of hate speech. Give me that call, 011-714-2006. Would love to hear from you. Uh, let's take your headlines, uh, and right after that, we will do the markets. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 104.6 FM in Twane. Oliver Dixon on SAFM. Welcome back to The Talking Point. My name is Oliver Dixon, and I'm standing in for Kathy this morning. Um, we're having a conversation this hour, and I'd like for you to participate in it, a conversation about the uh, public, uh, the, the second round of public comments having been taken on the criminalization of hate speech and hate act. Um, and in conversation with me uh, this morning is uh, Tandy Smith, the head of programs at Media Monitoring Africa, Adam Swansale, the campaigns officer at AfriForum, and Kim Lithgow, who's a member of the Hate Crimes Working Group. Um, and we're speaking about one, you know, what this, what the sufficient legal framework is to deal with acts of hatred and hate speech, and secondly, what an appropriate sanction for such an act would look like. Um, Tandi, before we went to the break, um, you you registered your concern um, that there are already uh, legal frameworks uh, that our jurisprudence looks to to be able to deal with acts of hatred and hate speech. Um, possibly then also that the hate speech bill will curtail further by encroaching on free speech in a way that may be limiting to free speech. Did I understand you correctly? So, yes. But it goes further than than just that. I think that, um, you know, it's it's critical to, to point out that we do feel the need to regulate hate speech um, and and have those prohibitive grounds for for particular speech that is um, that constitutes hate speech. I think that's um, you know that's that's non-negotiable. But we're having that the way defined in the current law to criminalise the the speech under how it's defined as it currently stands is too broad and, as has been mentioned, will not pass the con- constitutional muster. Where do you think the broadness but, of it lies? Uh, illustrate to us, as it currently stands, why sure, it is too sure. broad. So it's, it's around the definition of um, the... So if we look at, you know, it's not necessarily the categories of speech that's too broad, but it's about the intention um, of speech. So when we, the, the definition as it stands, it's any person, a person who intentionally publishes, propagates, or advocates anything or communicates to one or more persons in a manner that could be reasonably be construed to demonstrate a clear intention to be harmful or to incite harm or promote or propagate hatred based on one, of more, one or more of the following grounds. So it's the, it's the all clause um it's the all the concept of of all and um with those definitions we propose that it be changed to state any person who intentionally engages in advocacy of hatred that constitutes incitement to cause harm based on one or more of the following grounds so it's it's with the current definition you could you know take offensive or just harmful speech 
um, and, and that be construed as, as hate speech. And that's where the balance of freedom of expression comes in. So do you think Ernst is right in saying that it's too broad because if I call someone an old fart, that could be construed as an act of hatred? Yes. Um, essentially, we, you know, that that is where the the broadness, the def- the, the broad definition comes in. Right. So we have to look at it where it incites, where it constitutes incitement to cause harm based on um, in the advocacy of hatred that constitutes incitement to cause harm. So there's that very real intention of hatred um, to cause an incitement to cause harm. That is that is key here. And mm. that is what needs to be prohibited, and that is what needs to be looked at to be criminalized mm. um, K- in K- relation to this bill. Kim, do you think that distinction is merely semantic, or do you think it is a substantive distinction that needs to be taken serious? And again, because I asked you this question earlier, is this how the bill currently stands when Aaron's made that uh, example? Kim? Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Now I can, yeah. Okay, sorry. Um... Okay, I don't feel that the the um, that the definitions are too broad. Um, as I, as I was saying earlier, it's very difficult to convict somebody of HD. The definitions or, or, or the, the 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 yeah the sorry the the things that you're not allowed to say you know are are like you can't. Uh, commit hate speech against persons based on sexual orientation, race, gender, and all of that. But um, the, these sort of definitions are not broad enough because we are continually discovering more and more about the, the human race. And, um, for example, in the term, in, in the sphere of sex characteristics, mm. that hasn't been covered in the bill yet. So, so we feel that it, it, it needs to be a broad statement um, because this is just about hate. You know, it's not about which does it fall under. It's about hate. So for those people who are law-abiding citizens and that, um, this bill won't have any any uh, barriers. You know, um, it, the law is there for lawbreakers, and the mm. hate crimes and the hate speech bill is there for people who want to in, engage in that and mm. break those laws. Mm. So, so this is why we have it. We have it. I mean, we have twenty-one uh, 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 lesbians engaged were killed last year. That's mm. what. That's one person every second week. Okay, mm. for the year. This year, we just went to a a funeral on Saturday, and at the funeral, it was a, it was a, a funeral for a, a lesbian woman, and at, at her funeral, I was approached again by um, a, a woman who said, "Please, can I come and help them? Because a seven-year-old boy at school is getting bullied." Because he's gay, this little seven-year-old boy doesn't even know what gay means. Mm. He's like, "What is gay? Why are people telling me I'm gay?" You know. So this is where we need to step up and say, "Listen, hate crimes not acceptable. Hate speech is not acceptable." You know, it's a case of just be nice. Or yeah. if you can't be nice, just live and let live. That's yeah. all we're saying, and that what what we need in this country. Uh, Tandy, why does that all make it so broad 
that the courts would not be able to distinguish between, um, you know, uh, you know, insulting speech versus actual hate speech that seems that intends to propagate hatred. So the the reason that it becomes too broad with that or is that can it's 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 not all inclusive. So in the current definition, it's to be harmful or to incite harm, or so you can either do that, or you can promote or propagate hatred based on one of the following grounds. So so that's that's how that's where we look at why it's so broad because so what's the, what's the material distinction sorry what's the what's the so, material distinction between propagating harm or um you know in uh, you know advocating um harmful acts or what's is there a material distinction between uh being the originator or the propagator so i'm, I'm just trying to think of of an example of something that you could say based on someone's um call it uh, age or I'm just looking at the categories here, age or religion. Um, that's a, a nice controversial one. Religion, to be harmful. So that's a very subjective opinion on, on what could be harmful speech around someone's, um, around, around the religious group. If you, are, if you, if you make a statement that is, uh, that is assumed to be harmful based on someone receiving that statement, According to to the definition, yeah, that could be considered hasty. So, just so, being harmful. So, just, just yeah, that. let's let's think of another example and tell me if this fits into your concern. Yeah. If I if I spew a barrage of deeply sexist and you and, and dehumanizing comments towards you, and um, you know I dehumanize you in a way that really does deserve sanction, and Ernst is 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 on the call here and he laughs at all the things that I say. Does does the speech does the does the bill will the bill as it stands also criminalize him? Uh, I don't. I mean, and I don't think. Is so. that the concern? Is that the concern you have? I might be wrong. No, no, no. So, so the concern is that harmful speech is could be con- confused with offensive speech, mm. and offensive speech should not be. Um, lumped into the same category as hate speech okay. uh, or racist speech. Okay. So to offend someone is not a crime. Yeah. Um, to shock someone is, is not a crime or, or to offend a group of persons is not a crime. Mm. We need to be able to, to balance, like I said, like I said earlier, that, that freedom of expression with the very real issues of hate and racist speech that, that there you, you do need. Um, prohibitive grounds, and you do need um, criminal sanctions when you're looking at, at yeah. racist speech. Yeah. But just to offend and to just be considered to be harmful, it's not enough. Yeah, uh, Ernst, I want I want us to circle back uh, to sanctioning and what the appropriate sanction looks like. So, on the one instance, you say, well, we should try and be restorative in in our execution of justice, um, and that is to say, try to educate a person who has been convicted of a hate crime about the group towards which they spewed that act of crime, um, embed them in that community, force them to do community service so that they could potentially learn about this. Uh, why do you think that approach is a better approach than just throwing somebody in jail? Because if you, firstly, if you drive a, a hate speech, just drive it underground, uh, it just is there to fester. You don't really change that person's mind 
by sending them to prison. He's just going to go sit in a prison cell and still have his same hateful thoughts and might, even if he gets out, then uh, take some type of uh, violent action because of that festering of those thoughts. The real thing here is, firstly, uh, when it comes to, again, just to clarify, you use the example of a hate crime. When it comes to a hate crime, that is a criminal offense. That's the definition of a hate crime. Therefore, I don't think restorative justice would be fine for a hate crime because there's actually a criminal element there that needs to be dealt with in the way that the courts would deal with any type of criminal act. Uh, What I'm talking about when it comes to restorative justice is when we are getting into the realm of more the realm of speech, not the realm of crime. Crime, right. So when it comes to, for example, a person that clearly has hateful thoughts, uh, a person that's clearly hateful of another group, uh, that person is not, as from what the cases we've seen, that person's not going to change his mind if he's just put in a prison cell to to think about it. So so, so uh, then the question is, can we change the, beha- the attitudes and beliefs of a racist person? Can we realistically change it? Well, we have cases of it happening, so I think we can. If we look at the, the case studies of uh, restorative justice that have been used in South Africa, uh, you see that uh, actually happening. You see people have a change of heart and a change of actually their behavior and their thoughts, and that's, uh, okay. that's much better than uh, putting that person just alone with his thoughts and uh, no chance of anything, <laughs> uh, any change. Uh, let's take your calls this morning. Give us a call. The number is 011. Uh, give us a call this morning, 011-714-2006. Muloki and Kimberly, can, can you change the attitude and beliefs of a racist person? Uh, yeah, but it will take time. Do you think I community believe, service is sufficient? No, I, 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 I believe if there's hate, hate speech or hate action, like young Mr. Dienas there at, uh, at Stellenbosch. Uh, if it approaches criminality, then a criminal, a criminal uh, charge must be made against this person because it is completely wrong. You cannot just do these things with impunity. But I'm just thinking in the society that we have created in South Africa. Let, let me go back to, to this guy, uh, PNS Day. Mm. I believe that uh, he must be expelled from the university. But because, because he comes from a privileged... Yeah, group. but that's, that's, that's the university dealing with him. How should the law of the country deal with him? Uh, the, 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 young, the young African guy laid a charge there at the police station. Mm. And I think, yeah, the, that charge must be pursued. Okay. Thank you so much for yeah. your call. On uh, two, just, just lastly, on yeah. two levels. The university must also expel him. But we have an unequal situation in this country. Afri Forum might in the future come up with a university and accept this guy. And then what do we do now from there? So it's a very complicated topic that we have chosen today. And I think it must be it must be discussed further. Okay. Fantastic. Thank, Thank you so much for your call. Brian out in Cape Town. Good morning. Morning to you. Um, I just like to weigh in on this topic of racism. You know, we continuously fail to find solutions to our social ills, and racism is one of it. I'm in no way minimizing the despicable act of the student, but however, this government you know, is largely to blame for the, the problems that we have in that it continues to use this racist label. It, in fact... This, this uh, racial identity is entrenched by this government by calling people Tamils and Indians and et cetera, et cetera. This causes division. Um, one has to look at history and you and we'll see that in like it with the massacre in Rwanda of the Tutsis by the Hutus. 
over a million Tutsis were murdered. Coming, coming closer to home, we go to Inanda in 1985. So-called Indians and Zulus were pitted against each other, where hundreds were murdered. And most recently, we see a repeat of this uh, hatred, uh, where, where the Indians and, and uh, blacks were again in Phoenix, which were confronting each other, and uh, many were killed. So we have to go to the root of the problem as well. Yeah. We, we, you know, these are isolated incidents of racism, which is magnified and portrayed as being such a huge problem. But we don't address the problem. Yeah. In, uh, you know, we continuously want to entrench these labels. Sorry, can I just ask you, just, just Brian, just a quick question, and, and I hope you can answer it for me in, in 30 seconds or less. How should yeah. we address the problem? Yeah, look, firstly, from a socialist perspective, I'm a socialist. We have to, people should be uh, be taught to be South Africans. We are South Africans, all of us, mm. regardless of these divisions. The only time this government and most people that support the ANC recognize that uh, we are South Africans when they play international sport, then miraculously, we all become South Africans. <laughs> Interesting example yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Interesting example. Yeah, Thank- other, other than that, we just these pigeonholes, these stereotyping that continues. Yeah, this yeah. inculcates hatred in yeah. people. This Thank- is the breeding ground, breeding ground for hatred. Yeah. Thank you so much for that, Brian. Really, really, really do okay. appreciate it. Uh, let's. Uh, okay. you know, yeah. Let's 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 take uh, Kahisho out in Coffee Fountain. Kahisho, good morning. Good morning, Oliver. Mm, go ahead, uh, my good man. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to be long there. The problem started with these coordinator stocks of the ANC. There's no way that you can make concessions to your oppressor. The whites know whatever they're doing in this country. There's not going to be bad repercussions for them. So they can do whatever they want. They know or know the ANC government is going to protect them. Yeah. There is no way that you're going to get a, a child like that, 18 to 19 years old, saying that this is what you do to black students. And then the next thing, then you get his father, the white father, wanting to, to talk to the black father so that he could reconcile. Where did this child learn these things? Because they, 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 there has to be a place where they learn these things. Now, yeah. it's always expected that the black people have to turn the other cheek and be sure. the ones uh, reconciliating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Absolutely. Think, yeah, yeah. It's an unfair yeah, burden, I, I think. You know, it's, 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 you're placing the burden on the victim, really, uh, to forgive. It's sort of like we're pressurizing black people into forgiving racism or, or gay people to forgetting, to forgiving bigot, uh, uh, you know, bigoted behavior in the form of uh, homophobia or whatever the case may be. And, and, and that's incredibly unfair. Kahijo, thank you for that call. Let's take some of your voice. Notes uh, that have come through on this conversation in this hour. Morning, Mr. Olive. Uh, I just want to ask what's the difference between racism and xenophobia? May you please uh, ask your guest to clarify that? Thank you so much for a nice show. Hello, SFM and to listeners, anonymous from Durban. I'd just like to find out from our honorable guest. Uh, with regard to aid speech or aid crime, is there a criminal case open against you? And when one applies for a job or applies for anything, will that criminal uh, case affect you? Because if you're racist, because in an employment place, you could also be racist towards your staff or your fellow colleagues as well. So is a criminal case open against you for aid speech? Thank you. 
that's a very, very, very interesting question. And, and, and I just want to bring Kim back into the conversation to answer both those questions. You know, does xenophobia qualify as a hate speech and an hate act of hatred? Um, and one, how far reaching should be uh, the sanction um, when someone is being sanctioned for hate speech or a hate crime? Should it apply in the workplace? Is, should this be a criminal act that employers take serious as something to disqualify someone from getting a job. Kim, I maybe want to crystallize the question is this. Do you agree with Ernst that the approach should be one um, of re- restoration and not one that is necessarily punitive as an action of first instance? Um, okay, so let's go first to the, the bill itself. Okay, so um, it starts off with the prevention of hate crimes and hate speech. So I think, first of all, the onus is on the prevention. So that's on education. That's where all your work comes in to um, um, increase social cohesion and respect for equality and dignity. So you already are, are, are dealing with that. You want that to be in place. And then when the person um, still, uh, after be, you know receiving all that sensitization, when they willfully, engage in hate speech, then we need to take action because we know that hate with words often, you know, hate that begins with words often ends in action. Violence begins with dehumanizing and othering other people. Mm, mm. So this is why we're wanting to say, listen, let's be, be stern, you know, not after, you know, it's easy to say, oh, let's afterwards give them restorative justice. Mm. And I'm not against that. Mm. Uh, you know, if, if, right, if, so if we, we, we can feels, do both, you you seem to say. Yeah, it's sort of like if, if, if the courts feel that that's applicable, all well and good. Right. Um, so, but but I do feel that the, the, we need the hate speech right. um, legislation. Okay. Because okay. It, it's preventing hate crime. You know, it, it really will. Or at make least that we, or at least we hope that it would prevent hate crime, right? I mean, murder is a crime, yet people still get murdered by the dozen here. Um, yeah. We at least hope it will. Uh, th- thank, thank you so much for that thought, Kim. Uh, Adams, I just want to give you a last comment here. Um, you know, Kim says that justice can be both restorative and retributive um, in its mitigatory efforts. Surely that seems logical. Yes, well, that's the thing is that uh, we're dealing with a, a complex uh, conversation here, as Kim would agree. Uh, this is not an either or. Uh, there's the conversation about the bill and how it defines harm and how it defines hate and hate speech. And then there's also the question about how do we deal with things like hate crimes and with crime and criminality. That's another conversation which I think we all can agree that the criminals should also, there should be an element of punishment uh, that fits the crime. But uh, just one final very quick thought. Um, I found it interesting that one of the uh, the listeners that called in mentioned the, the racial categories that are used by the ANC government. And it's funny because you have a country that's filled with Chongas, Chwanas, Zulus, Vendas, Afrikaners, Sutus, all these different cultures. But then the government just tells them, no, you're black or you're white and the, it, it, you're defined by your race. And it's funny because, you know, those, those, those racial categories weren't thought up by the ANC. The ANC looked at the, the apartheid government's racial categories and they thought, well, 
these guys maybe figured out some things. I think this is a good idea, and they just copied it right there. So I think there's something in that comment that you got there uh, from that listener that people should think about. Yeah, yeah. The categorization of racial groups and um, is, is one that we should speak about, but the categorization of cultural and ethnic groups may be necessary to people's identity and, and how they seem, see themselves. That's an important conversation. Thank you so much uh, to my guest this morning. I really, really, really do appreciate it. It is a conversation that obviously is ongoing. Tandy Smith, the head of programs at Media Monitoring Africa, Addis Van Sale, the campaign officer at AfriForum, and Ken Lithgow, who's a member of the Hate Crimes Working Group. Thank you so much for your time this morning. We really do appreciate it. Thank you to all the calls. We continue the talking point on the other side of this. It is 11 o'clock. Time for your news.